This podcast is made possible by listener support on Patreon. If you would like to support the podcast, please visit patreon.com slash Sam Reed's Near-Death Experiences. Why should I be frightened of dying? You know reason for it. You better go sometimes. Hello, and welcome to the Sam Reed's Near-Death Experiences podcast. Um, we are going to be doing a somewhat topical uh, near-death experience today. Uh, we're getting close to Halloween, and uh, I was going to do something else, but uh, I read this story, and it's kind of a, in a way, a ghost story um, that um, ha- becomes a, a near-death experience, and it's um, not what we would consider a traditional near-death experience, but it is very similar uh, in its features to a near-death experience. So essentially what it's about, um, uh, this woman, uh, Abby Jo, um, was lying in her bed and um, a ghost came to her and she um, wanted to help the ghost because he was, uh, I guess, a lost soul and she... Um, escorted him to a afterlife realm, and the near-death experience kind of continues from there. So, not um, by any means a um, a you know she wasn't in any uh, medical emergency or anything like that. So it's very interesting, and um, I'm excited to get into it. Um, this uh, near-death experience, so to speak. Uh, occurred in 1986, 1985-1986, so it's about 30 years old, and um, uh, it happened in, in the UK, so it's coming to us from across the pond. If you're living in America, if you're out around the world, then uh, it's coming from the UK. <laughs> That's just the way we refer to um, England here. So, uh, yeah, it's very interesting, and... Uh, I thought it was it was perfect for this time of the year, and so I'm excited to get into it. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of news to share. Um, I did add a few more uh, uh, perks to my Patreon page. Um, if you all uh, are interested in supporting the podcast, you can go check out the Patreon page. Uh, it's Sam Reed's Near Death Experiences, and. Uh, um, there's a couple couple options of things you can get in return for uh, for for pledging your support for the podcast, and um, one of them I just added was uh, the choice to um, uh, choose which episode I do, choose which uh, story I read. So if that's something that you've always wanted to hear me read a particular story or something, and and you um, have a little extra money to to support this podcast, and that's something that uh, you could totally do. So, um, and besides that, I think uh, we can just hop right into it. Uh, this is coming to us from the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation website, um, nderf.org, uh, which I encourage you to go check it out, and I will provide the link in the description of this episode. So, let's just... Uh, Get right into it. This is Abby Joe's near-death experience.
The room was very cold. It was a bedroom in a basement apartment in an old Victorian house. It was normally dark and cool, but that day it was cold. As I lay on my bed, I became aware of a presence in the room. My eyes were closed and I did not see anyone there. I don't remember if at the time I had roommates, but I do know there was no person there physically with me. We had no pets at the time. I became aware of the presence as being a disincarnated spirit, a ghost. I had some limited experience with a ghost when I was a child. This ghost was the lost soul of the previous occupant of the same room. He was a previous tenant who had committed suicide in that room, and this was later verified by the Scottish landlady. It was a male energy. He told me he did not know where else to go. This had been his home. I told him I would get him to the next step, and I think my words to him at the time were, I can take you to the right place. Let's go. I do not remember a tunnel. I was in an open field filled with bright white light and a kind of fog. There were no bodies. This is where I dropped off the soul and he left me there. Although this happened to me more than three decades ago, the memory is still very clear and perhaps I've needed to survive to be able to post it here. Until I read Rajiv Prati's book, I did not know there were so many others with similar light experiences. I rarely tell anyone about this experience, and I have never written about it in detail. I told my son about it when he was growing up. I told my doctor about it at the time, and he said it was oxygen deprivation to the brain. This explanation I accepted for many years although it never explained how the landlady could verify the previous tenant's suicide when there was no other record of it and no internet in 1986. I never asked his name as it never seemed important. All I can say is at the time and before the trip I took to the light people and their dimension, there was no way for me to know about an undisclosed suicide other than to interact with the ghost myself. The landlady did not volunteer information until after I asked specifically about a young man committing suicide in the same flat, and she was very quiet and pale when she acknowledged that there was. In any event, when I arrived at what I would now describe as perhaps a field of light or a cloud, the soul I was traveling with was greeted by someone who told me, thank you for escorting him. Someone will meet with you shortly. Wait here. I waited in the open arena slash cloud, and it was like being at a very big cocktail party, but without bodies. There were hundreds of intense telepathic conversations going on all around me. I could tune in to any of them that I wanted to. It was very much like turning a dial on a radio or changing web pages on a computer. I could shift my focus and hear telepathically any conversation I wanted to hear on any topic, all happening simultaneously. I waited until I was then escorted to a tall angel. I can't say it was Jesus or Moses or him or her. 
The person was very tall and bright, but one individual. This individual spoke to me as a wise grandfather might. In life, I never met my grandparents. Two died in Poland in World War II, and two died in California after escaping Eastern Europe. So I never got any loving contact with them. If I could have a loving grandfather who was wise, protective, very tall, and made of translucent light, then that would be close to what I saw that day. This was a loving person. He radiated love, but there was no body. He was just a towering light with concern and love. It was unconditional love, unlike that I have ever experienced with humans, but approximated by my love for my own child, my love for my dog, and once or twice sun-gazing. Here and there I get close to that angelic love, but never that strong, bright, or unconditional. I told the angel I wanted to stay. The angel said, you can, you have free will, you can do what you choose to, but if you stay here now, many people who have been waiting a very long time for you and who are depending on you will be disappointed and their lives will be affected, or something very close to that. I remember reluctantly agreeing to go back and at the same time being told that things will get better, which to some extent I suppose is true. They changed, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse, but never the same for long. The experience ended when I felt myself turn into something like spiritual water. I suddenly felt a strong gravitational force pull me or suck me down and I poured myself back into the body on the bed. The room was clean and it was not as cold. Within a few weeks of that experience, I forgot, for the only time in my entire life to date, to sign my rent check. I mailed the unsigned check to the landlady. The landlady came to see me for the only time ever since I had rented that apartment. As I handed the signed check back to her, I asked if there had ever been a previous tenant that had committed suicide in that apartment. She looked me in the eye and nodded very slowly and put the check in the bag and turned and walked away. Okay, so that was Abby Joe's near-death experience, her good deed for a ghost to help a lost soul out. Um, she uh, wrote quite a bit in the uh, for the questions that that usually come at the end of these uh, near-death experiences. So I'm going to pick out a couple of those and and read it because I think she adds a lot of valuable insight and uh, wisdom and um, context that you don't quite get from the story itself. So I wanted to go ahead and read a couple of those. The first one is, uh, the first question is, how did your highest level of consciousness and alertness during the experience compare to your normal everyday consciousness and alertness? More consciousness and alertness than normal. I am not normally aware of the choice of being in a body or of the body being heavy. I wasn't aware of the self being light, which is voluntarily and temporarily poured into this body. 
The water transforms after leaving the cup. It does not cease to exist. It becomes vapor or ice or part of another vessel. In the moment of the highest level of consciousness, I realize that the body is a temporary vessel, a thick, heavy, limited, disconnected, slow vessel, and that my true self was light, airy, and without limit. Returning to this body was like asking me to go clean up my messy room with bad plumbing, peeling paint, bad ventilation, no heating or cooling, and stay in it until I could remodel it or move to a new home. The body was 27 or 28, but had already been showing signs of neglect. It is an awareness of karma. In that moment, I knew I made the 1985-1986 body and that abandoning her in the same place as the previous tenant had left his body would be a cop-out. At the time, my conclusion was this event happened to remind me not to abandon others, not to give up because there was a reason for everything, and my reasons were still becoming clear. One answer that I was getting to the prayer for God to show me some proof was this memory that I am not the body. I occupy it as a driver occupies a car, or a user operates a computer. And yet it is important that I not leave my shift before my time. Okay, here is another one. Did scenes from the future come to you? Scenes from my personal future. Not that I can describe, but more of a knowing that there was at least one child waiting for a body that I needed to provide. There was the sense that my work was not done, and that more than one soul was waiting on me, or relying on me, and that the other souls would be affected in disappointing, perhaps painful ways, if I did not return. It was a knowing in a general way, that I had agreements, contracts for the future, obligations, and also opportunities to balance karma, to heal myself. I could stay where it was comfortable and easy in the light, or I can return to the shadow lands, finish what I started, and evolve. There was a knowing that if I check out early, I would not have another opportunity to heal certain soul relationships and grow spiritually, not for a long time. And here is one more. During your experience, did you gain information about universal connection or oneness? Yes, I do not know if it is universal, but it is big and it is a connection. It is possible that I was on a cloud, in the future, where all my past and future personas coexist. All the people I have been and will be, and all the people that have mattered, not in their bodies but their thoughts that the thoughts themselves take on an independent life and coexist on a kind of spiritual Wi-Fi internet in the future. It was like being in a chat room without having to use words or computers or bodies and without having to type, just focus here, refocus there, turn the dial and change the channel. It was a mystical unity, but I can't say if it was all-inclusive or just some aspect of one larger being who is him or herself part of something else, etc. It could have been a fractal, 
that I am in my true state a kind of photon or particle of light in a fractal, and there are identical fractals all around which comprise the universe. That's theory after the fact. During the experience, I was united, and after it, I was again separated. I do believe that the same mystically aware being that I met in the 80s over 30 years ago keeps sending me proof because I keep asking for it. The last proof was Prati's book and leading to this questionnaire. During your experience, did you gain information about an afterlife? An afterlife definitely exists. Yes, I went into another state of being and could still think thoughts, could still distinguish a self from others, and could still distinguish separation of a kind, but more like drops of water in the ocean still being drops, or the cells of my own body being cells with some sort of boundaries between them, yet all united in one place for one purpose, without conflict or duality. I can still clearly distinguish between that state of light, or pure thought, and the state of being in a body, maintaining a body, feeding it, bathing it, medicating it, exercising and resting it. There is clearly a non-physical state of being which is similar to a dream state, but which is more lucid and self-directed than a dream, and where the light is brighter and of a different quality. I remember pouring myself into the body, just like I pour coffee into my mug, so there is the awareness of being outside of and separate from the body. And here's the, uh, the last one that I wanted to read. Do you have any psychic, non-ordinary, or other special gifts after your experience that you did not have before the experience? Yes, I get previews without being able to control it. Often a short glimpse, like a few frames of film, flash by sometimes in dreams, followed by a deja vu feeling. This is often like seeing a film twice. I remember lines of script, faces here and there, sometimes a name or an address. Sometimes I can Google information, or other times I just know which road to take. I am also better at sinner cards than I was in the past. I sometimes see remotely when practicing, especially with online games, but have done it in person as well. These are not skills I use with other people. I give a few readings and never accept money. I do sometimes get strong vibes or even messages that seem to come with certain people. At times I email people or tell them what I see, but usually I don't. Okay, so there are, there are a lot of things that I kind of want to dive into and, and flesh out and see if I can amplify from this from this near-death experience, um, I hope I can do it well enough and organize my thoughts well enough to, for it to be coherent, but um, we'll just kind of go along and, and see how it goes. So the first thing that I wanted to mention um, was how she emphasized uh, her knowledge of this suicide before it was actually confirmed by her landlady. Now, um, we might call this something like foreknowledge or a premonition or, or some kind of knowing uh, before the fact. Um, 
there's a term synchronicity, which um, was first coined by Carl Jung. Of course, I had to bring him up in this episode because I do in every episode, but uh, it does apply here because um, synchronicity is a term that tends to get thrown around quite a bit and kind of abused in certain ways. But um, I wanted to try and uh, give you all some uh perhaps stricter definitions of, of what synchronicity is as, as Jung first uh, elaborated it. So um, he defined synchronicity as an acausal connecting principle, a meaningful coincidence, um, or an acausal parallelism. So from what I understand, and I just read his, um, his book on synchronicity, it is um, some kind of some kind of connection between a psychic or subjective event and some uh, non-causally related outer event, that these things kind of fall together um, and don't have any mechanism of connection except for the meaning that is inherent in um, the subject's experience. So here is... um, I'm going to read a little bit to to kind of give you a little extra extra uh, understanding of it. So this is uh, from Jung's book, uh, Synchronicity and a Causal Connecting Principle. It is impossible with our present resources to explain ESP or the fact of meaningful coincidence as a phenomenon of energy. This makes an end of the causal explanation as well, for effect cannot be understood as anything except for a phenomenon of energy. Therefore, it cannot be a question of cause and effect, but of a falling together in time, a kind of simultaneity. Because of this quality of simultaneity, I have picked on the term synchronicity to designate a hypothetical factor equal in rank to causality as a principle of explanation. So, um, this would be a classic example of uh, synchronicity, um, what, what happened in Abby Jo's near-death experience. So, she had this knowledge. Now, we're taking this based on her, her, her word, and we have to. I mean, that's... Uh, kind of baked into the cake with these sorts of things. Um, but she um, had this knowledge. She saw this ghost and and somehow knew that he had committed suicide. And then um, she goes at lengths to describe kind of the, not mystical, but a strange way that she actually got confirmation that she uh, she's never forgotten to sign a check. And yet... She, a couple weeks later, she somehow forgets, and then the landlady shows up, which she had never been there since she rented rented the apartment originally. And she asked the landlady if uh, the previous tenant had had committed suicide, and she confirmed in kind of a creepy way from the sounds of things and and walked away. But um, that's kind of kind of a good ending to sort of ghost story, right? That she gets confirmation that it really happened in in real life. But um, the reason I wanted to bring this up and and kind of elaborate it a little further is because I think it is something 
very important for us to look out for in our own lives. And this is all going to happen in different ways. Um, but the classic kind of, I would say the, the most, not disturbing, but the most uh, meaningful synchronicities would probably, probably be the ones where you get some foreknowledge of something and then it shows up again. Um, Jung himself and others have described uh, synchronicities as a, a pattern of things showing up. Uh, like he, um, he has a whole section where he talks about how he was uh, studying um, fish symbolism, symbolism, and then a bunch of um, different separate events uh, where fish were involved popped up in the next like twenty four hours. He, there's like six six fish events that he ran into, and while these are these can be meaningful and kind of interesting. They also can lend themselves to uh, uh, an overactive enthusiasm, maybe would be a good way to describe it. Like if you, I don't know, you see the number seven on a billboard and then there's a seven in the license plate of the car ahead of you. You know, you can kind of make, you can kind of construct these pretty easily of, of coincidences if you if you want to, but other ones will be more meaningful and I think it's the meaning that that gives it um, the the weight uh, if you're just trying to this is like what conspiracy theorists do uh, they try to look for patterns and things and you know there's oh there was do you see that guy on on in the window and he was there and you know it can lend itself to uh, some kookiness but uh, certain coincidences can be uh, quite meaningful. And I think that the, like I said before, that the, the deepest, most profound kind of synchronicity would be a foreknowledge, uh, some kind of vision, dream, inkling, seeing something within you that is then confirmed in the outer world, um, which clearly happened with Abby Joe, And as I mentioned a couple episodes ago, I... Uh, had this experience happen to me where I, uh, in the morning, uh, before I was awake, I dreamt about my coworker, um, and later that day I ran into him in a restaurant. Um, and I've been keeping track of my dreams since earlier this year, and that was the only time that I had dreamt of him. Um, the only time out of, you know countless days and nights that you know I've I've been tracking my dreams the one one time I dreamt of him I ran into him in in a very strange way um and so what do we do with these these experiences now I don't I don't expect anyone to take uh my experience or Abby Joe's as as some kind of proof of this um, phenomenon, because I think it is a subjective proof that you have to find. You have to look for it in your own life. Um, everyone is going to have their own version of this or the, their own experiences, and 
if you ask them, you know, they'll, they might tell you, but really it's, it's going to be your own um, proof that you get of this phenomenon happening. And um, I think the more you pay attention to your dreams, your intuitions, um, things that pop into your head, that, that uh, the more likely you are to get one of these, or to have this synchronicity experience. And it's, it's very deep, I would say, because if you experience a synchronicity of, of this kind or, or, or another one, it can essentially serve as a personal proof of the incompleteness of cause and effect, the incompleteness of the, um, our ideas about uh, the physical world. Um, it can essentially be a personal um, example or a personal uh, evidence of things beyond uh, things beyond science and observation uh, in the general sense that they could ever um, explore, and and that is about as profound as as you can get because if there can be these uh, linking up of of a inner psychic event in a outer physical event, then, you know, then perhaps we are, there's more to us than, than we can scientifically know. And I emphasize that because science, science can't prove something like this. It's, it's a purely subjective kind of experience. And there are attempts with like ESP experience, experiments and stuff, but I think really um, this this serves as a a personal subjective um, uh, quality and and you know I think that's the personal subjective quality. What it means to be a person is to live in this world where uh, things can be meaningful and and pop up and and that we we get that vague sense of of uneasiness, you know, like that it, it weirds people out. Like, you know, you'll ask people um, if they've had one of these experiences or something and they'll, they'll, they might tell you. And then it's just kind of like they shrug their shoulders because <laughs> we don't know how it happens. And it's not something that you can generalize. It's not something that you can uh, uh, really probe in any way to, to discover more about it, but uh, it's kind of it's definitely in the culture that, um, and and in the um, kind of in the air that these these things can happen, where you know you you experience something that uh, even even on a tiny micro level that that goes against all our kind of common knowledge. Um, so I encourage you to, um, to look out for these and to pay attention to what goes on inside you pay attention to your dreams and, and your feelings and, and, uh, things that come to you because, um, to have a synchronous synchronicity, 
um, experience can be something that that uh, serves as a, a personal proof of of the unknown, shall we say. Um, so she talks a lot about about that. Um, and then she also mentions that she uh, met with this grandfatherly old, well, old, but wise, tall angel. And that uh, they have a little conversation and it's kind of the classic near-death experience kind of thing where she can go, go back, or she can stay. Um, and But if she stays, then she's going to mess things up, I guess, karmically. And this is an idea that is expressed through many near-death experiences that uh, we have certain obligations to fulfill uh, throughout our lives to people we may not know yet. Uh, different souls who have certain objectives to accomplish, and we need to be part of that. She mentions in the questions that she had the the inkling that she uh, or the the knowledge that she needed to give birth to a child um, that that needed to be fulfilled, and um, so we get we get a lot of uh, kind of a karmic um, explanation uh, for for Abby Joe as to why she needed to go back. And then she she describes going back into her body as kind of being poured back in, which was an interesting um interesting kind of illustration. And um in her questions I found the uh the description of the other world very very interesting. Um she mentions that it's it was kind of like a cloud that um like, uh, I don't know, where our thoughts were uploaded. And, and she emphasizes that there's kind of a timelessness to it where where she's together with her, perhaps her future and past selves, everyone she ever was and ever will be. Um, and there are these other souls there, um, and everybody's kind of uh, communicating telepathically. And that these... Uh, communications kind of are the substance of this world, that it's kind of like a thought realm, that where the thought um, is is kind of primary. Um, and, and she goes on to mention that she's, it was kind of this, this um, uh, conjunction of, of the opposites, um, which is a very important Jungian idea of... Um, where the there's this juxtaposition of she's her own person and she she has her own thoughts and she can observe things and um but at the same time she she says it could be everything was so connected it could be the kind of the mind of one being in a way so there's this um there's this dichotomy between or this sense that they're all kind of combined, that it, it she is one and many at the same time, and that the many is could be one uh, being of light or something, um, which I find fascinating because it's it's so counterintuitive, 
And she mentions that it's, she's lucid, but in a way that's kind of like a dream. And I don't know if you've ever had a lucid dream, but that's, speaking of synchronicity, that's something that can, uh, that can really, if you think about it seriously, can really uh, uh, shake you down to your core. I mean, the fact that I've, in, in one of my lucid dreams, just quite simply that I've, you know, touched something, touched uh, a wooden bar uh, that doesn't exist in the world. It's kind of weird <laughs> to think about, like, philosophically. But, um, and I'm not quite sure what to make of, of her description of, of this other realm, how it's kind of like a dream, but she's very conscious. Um, I'm not quite sure what we can take away with away from that. Um, because the other thing that I wanted to kind of talk about was um, this this particular near-death experience reminded me a lot of um, the uh, chapter of uh, Jung's Memories, Dreams, and Reflections that I read um, a couple episodes ago. It was uh, on life after death. Um, first and foremost, in the way that she describes her experience with this ghost, um, there was... I don't know if you remembered or you listened to it, but um, if you didn't go back kind of towards the middle of of that episode, Jung describes it was after his his friend had died, and he's, I guess, lying in his room and um, gets this sense that his friend is kind of standing at the doorway. And he's looking there, and there's nothing there, but when he kind of closes his eyes and imagines, uh, looks at his imagination, he, he sees his friend standing there, and he kind of does a, kind of has a little uh, battle with himself as to say, well, I can see no one's physically there, but who, who am I to say that in my imagination that he's not standing there? And um, he eventually uh, decides to, to play along, as he says, and he um, ends up following in his imagination, following his friend out, um, out of uh, Jung's house and to his friend's house, and goes into his dead friend's library. And I guess he, uh, the dead friend, points up to a book, and then the vision kind of cuts off. And the next day, uh, Jung goes over there and uh, asks his widow if if uh, Jung can take a look at his library and he goes up and he climbs up the bookcase uh, or the the stool uh, up the bookcase to see the the red book that um, his friend was pointing at and it was entitled the the legacy of the dead and this reminded me of of this little encounter because she she mentions that she she was alone um, no one was there, and it's not that she saw anything per se, but when she closed her eyes, she could um, see this spirit, this ghost, this soul. And I, I thought it was really interesting how she just, I, I, I don't know, she just so confidently kind of, he said, 
the ghost said he didn't know where to go and she kind of like, oh, I know the way, follow me kind of thing. That she um, was so easily and so confidently was able to help this spirit. Um, Because I'm not sure, (laughs) well, this is way out of my wheelhouse, but I'm not sure how how careful you need to be when dealing with ghosts and stuff. I mean, from what I understand, it can be pretty frightening. So, and I I don't know if you're leading a ghost where you might end up. So, especially one that uh, might want to do you harm or something. I I don't know. I'm I'm not really really well versed in the whole ghost kind of thing. Um. But I found it very, very fascinating that she was kind of intuitively ready to help this poor soul out. And she took him to this open field. So, um, yeah, it's very interesting. And and I, I don't know if she had, she said she had, I guess, experienced a ghost before or something. But this is a very peculiar case of a ghost story. Um, and that's that's kind of um, one of the reasons that I wanted to to talk about this story um, due to the uh, the timing of the year. Um, it is a ghost story and we are getting close to Halloween. Um, and I was I was uh, looking up the the history of Halloween and and kind of how it came about. And I I found it very interesting and the the question that kept arising for me is the question that um, what what can the living offer the dead? And uh, this is something that I I was going back and listening to that that episode of, of Jung's on on life after death, and he seemed to think that the uh, the living can offer their consciousness to the dead, that the dead need us to, um, I guess, increase their knowledge to um, uh, use our, our consciousness to help them answer questions that they were not able to answer um, in their own lifetimes. If you're interested in that line of thinking, I recommend you go listen to that episode. But um, it, it does, there does seem to be a sense that you get from these near-death experiences that um, the whole point and purpose of humanity is to help God understand himself in a way, or help the universe, or help the infinite understand itself, that our knowledge is is useful to um, useful to the divine, the light, that it helps it uh, have experiences and be able to be more complete or something like that. And I was interested how how this idea might be reflected in in the old uh, cultural patterns of of um, throughout history, and and that's where I um, 
kind of dove into the history of Halloween and um, and All Saints Day and All Souls Day. So Halloween is the 31st of October. The November 1st is in the Christian Catholic tradition is All Saints Day, and then November 2nd is All Souls Day. And there are, seem to be a lot of examples of of this kind of relationship between the living and, and the dead. Um, from what I understand, Halloween first, well, traditionally was was kind of uh, a pagan festival, which I can't remember the name of. It wasn't called Halloween, but it was it was around this time, uh, towards the end of October, beginning of no- November, for the Celtic peoples um, prior to Christianization and. Uh, they celebrated, um, I guess, the, the dead in a way, and um, it was a festival that uh, I suppose it was in their conception um, the kind of the border between the light half of the year and the dark half of the year. That um, at this time and and these Celtic pagan festivals, the um, the line between the world of the living and the world of the dead, the barrier was was thin, and that um, they could come into contact with uh, their ancestors and um, things like that. And then when uh, when the Catholics um, and the Christians kind of took over, they they moved their all all uh, Saints Day to uh, take the place of this pagan time, uh, this pagan festival. And and so uh, the day before All Saints Day, November 1st, became uh, known as All Hallows Even, um, as, and Hallows means sacred. So all the, sa- the um, evening before all that's sacred, or all the saints, essentially. And then, um, and then All Souls Day was added on after. And there seems to be this um, particular emphasis laid upon um, the importance of, of praying for the dead, for um, thinking of the dead, and, and um, trying to help the dead, especially at this time. Um, I was listening to a a little program about the idea of purgatory, and uh, they were talking about how in the um, kind of Middle Ages and and on that people would leave a lot of money to others in their wills um, to get them to pray for them, and that you were supposed to pray for your departed loved loved ones to help reduce their time in purgatory and help them reach um, heaven and the absolute. And um, and that's something that actually connected with um, one of the practices of Halloween um, that continued to be, continues to be carried on to this day. And, and one of the early, and that is the <laughs> idea of trick-or-treating, which um, has evolved quite a bit, but um, in its kind of its earliest roots, um, I I think that uh, 
if I remember correctly, the children and, and others would go around during this time to uh, people's houses and they would uh, um, ask for soul cakes, little little cakes. And um, in return, they would uh, pray for that person's uh, dead relatives or dead loved ones or sing a song or something for the dead. And so you have this idea um, kind of at the very the very roots of of this time of the year that the dead need our thoughts and our prayers to help them. Um, and I was trying to think of in terms of a relationship what what we can do for the dead and what the dead can do for us. And it seems like, you know, scattered throughout our culture and other cultures is this idea that the dead can offer us wisdom, can offer us peace, um, peace of mind, um, can offer us, you know, solutions maybe. Um, I mean, just a, a couple off the top of my head, like... Um, Paul McCartney of the Beatles wrote the like mega famous song Let It Be after he had a dream um, where his um, deceased mother Mary came to him in this dream and, and told him just let it be. Um, I mean that's just one example but you, you have it popping up in movies and, and everything like if you think of The Lion King where um, Simba is, is, it's kind of the turning point of the movie where he's finally going to accept responsibility and he, he sees his dead father Mufasa and, you know, talks to him. And that's, that's the moment where he becomes a, a man, so to speak, uh, the turning point where he becomes the king who returns to, to reclaim his throne. Um, this idea is kind of scattered everywhere. Um, even uh, one of our past episodes, which I've mentioned before, uh, Deborah's near-death experience, she has a dream uh, where her dead brother comes back to her and uh, talks to her and um, makes, her, makes her feel better, gives her some, some wisdom and guidance, um, you know, and and helps her out. So, this this idea of of the relationship between the living and the dead is, I think, a very interesting one, and one that I wish we uh, culturally had a better way of of talking talking about and thinking about. I'm very uh, very jealous of the uh, Mexican um, tradition of the Dia de los Muertos, uh, the Day of the Dead, where they have um, I don't know if you've seen it before, but they have parades and everybody dresses up and in skeletons and people um, take food to their the graves of their um, deceased loved ones, and it's it's kind of a, a celebration of the dead where um, they're really able to reflect on on um, everything that uh, you know their those people meant what they their loved ones meant to them and, and offer them, uh, you know, 
cakes and sweets and stuff and and songs and um it's kind of a uh, it seems like it's kind of almost a celebration of of the dead they they mention funny stories and and uh things like that and it's it's something that i wish i wish halloween was was more like um in america and and other western cultures where it it's uh, it kind of gets back to its roots of of what this time of the year means instead of just being about uh getting in a uh, costume and <laughs> drinking too much and trick or treating and stuff and watching a scary movie when all that's great and stuff but um i wish it was it was a little more conscious of of why this why this holiday exists and i think it's important um so what can what can the living offer the dead um i'm not quite sure it seems like we can offer them our our thoughts our prayers our consciousness um our developing knowledge of things of the world of ourselves um and in a way uh, if you want to think about it at its deepest really we everything that we are and everything that we have is is came to us from the dead from our ancestors and in a way our bodies and our our institutions and our our culture and everything um both naturally um our biology and also uh our societies were uh brought to us by people uh that have since passed and maybe it's just our responsibility to um use them and take care of them and be a steward of them uh in the best way possible you know that's that's we uh everything we have and everything we are is the legacy of the dead and uh perhaps we're just have to be responsible for that and try to make it um as good as it can be um So because I don't have any answers to that question, I think I'll end by sharing a dream I had while I was while I've been thinking about it. And I'm not sure how totally it applies, but it still seems related in a way. Um this was a couple days ago and I I dreamt that I was in the movie The Exorcist. and i'm not a fan of of scary movies i really don't like them <laughs> but um i was i was in the beginning the very beginning of the movie the exorcist and um it was kind of a dark and and stormy day and i realized that i was in this movie and i was like oh no i don't want to be part of this so i was i was trying to run away and i was running through all these this uh gothic kind of architecture it was like i was in an old cathedral or something where there were all these uh ornate uh openings these open kind of windows that i was running by and there were like multiple floors and stories and it was almost like being in some weird i don't know uh video game level or something it was something that doesn't really exist which makes sense because it's in a dream but um as i was trying to escape from 
from being in this this uh, movie, this this bad situation, I got uh, almost sucked down one of these windows, and I was in utter blackness. I was surrounded by darkness, and I saw this. There was this writing that appeared in the dark, and uh, the writing said, uh, "You will." remain here until someone conscious thinks of you. And it was as if I, uh, I had been kind of uh, taken over by a demon or something, that some demon had thrown me into a prison, prison cell in the back of my mind and that he was running the show and, and I was stuck here in the blackness. And this message was I would stay there until someone conscious thought of me. And... Um, and then in the dream, um, I next, I kind of woke up in my bed. I was still dreaming, but this was part of the dream. I woke up in my bed, and um, my girlfriend was standing there next to me. And the implication being that she was the one who had thought of me and uh, somehow gotten me out of that blackness. And so I don't know exactly what that means for in terms of the questions of, of what the living can offer the dead, but it seems to be some kind of illustration that um, perhaps just thinking of, of somebody, um, I don't know, might be able to help them out in a way. So thank you so much for listening. Um, I, I hope you got something out of it. Um, a little ghost story for... Uh, Halloween times, times where the uh, distance between the li- living and the dead is at its uh, uh, smallest. So uh, if you'd like to uh, reach out to me, uh, shoot me an email at samreadsneardeathexperiences at gmail.com. You can uh, follow us on the Facebook page. Um, I am... I need to upload some more of these episodes to YouTube. I have a couple up there, but I will continue to do that. If you want to follow me along in my daily life, you can uh, find me on Instagram. My name is The Timberlion. And uh, if you want to support the show, you can do so on uh, Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash experiences. So let's uh, move on to our Uh, final quote about death. This one is coming to us from the notebooks of Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, I thought it was very poetic, and um, I really liked it. So, here we go. O time, consumer of all things, O envious age, thou dost destroy all things and devour all things with the relentless teeth of years, little by little, in a slow death. Helen, when she looked in her mirror, seeing the withered wrinkles made in her face by old age, wept and wondered why she had twice been carried away. (laughs) 